0: Hey everybody, it's DG. Man, I'm super excited about this episode because when we were out on the West Coast for SASTER, we took a little pit stop over at ServiceNow. If you don't know ServiceNow, look them up. One of the fastest growing companies, most successful companies on the planet. And I got to sit down with Dan Rogers, the CMO. This guy is an absolute monster. He was a CMO at Symantec, the VP of marketing for EMEA at Salesforce, global head of product marketing and demand gen at Amazon for AWS, senior director of demand gen at Microsoft. I can't say enough how smart this guy is, and I was able to go sit down and have a conversation with him, and I'm excited to bring that to you. So here's Dan Rogers on this episode of The Swipe File. Content is like a secret little hack to learning which is like are you kidding me I get to go to service now and interview you it's cool yeah
1: what Anthony you're against does the same I'm actually an advisor to Anthony yeah and you know they've got an advisory board and I'm one of his advisors yeah I'm actually meeting him later today oh good that's part of that but he's the same he kind of figured out he's got his own show you saw that thing yeah Yeah.
0: I saw you guys in the the big auditorium yeah
1: that's fun yeah Yeah. but he's the same he's figured out that's a good Wait for him to learn, yeah.
0: And also I think just there's too many things and so Uh narrowing it down to like, who do I want to learn from? Uh Like who is in my industry? I know where I want to go and what I want to do and Uh so I just try to only learn from those people as Uh opposed to like the, you know, CMO of some consumer company. Uh It's not as important. Like I can learn things from her, but it's more like who's writing the same, who's paid in the same path? Uh Oh, because it's all the same. Uh Every time I have dinner with somebody or you sit around other marketers, it's like, Everybody's doing the same stuff. I know. I
1: can't go to those dinners anymore because mostly, and I'm not like pat myself on the back or anything. But mostly, there's not enough innovation. People are just trying to do the same thing, and so you know, I see the balance of teaching versus learning is yeah. not the right one for me at those things. I don't tend to go I, anymore. I
0: totally agree with you. This people that are listening to this will roll their eyes because I say this line all the time. But like, I think the problem with marketers, and I am one, so I'm not, you know, I'm not preaching. But like, is if you and I on this podcast today said the best time to send an email is 2 o'clock on a Tuesday, yep. I would say 99% of marketers would go out and then go, All right, tomorrow we got to test our email uh-huh. at 2 o'clock on a Tuesday. Where uh-huh. Before we were talking about like just trying to be more progressive and innovative, I want to send an email on Saturday night at 9 uh-huh. o'clock. Uh-huh. And the old way would be like, well, nobody's online. then. I'm like, just go walk outside. Everyone's like this. Uh-huh. Everybody's online uh-huh. always. It's just like... And there's a great saying, this copywriter, Roy Williams, that I'm obsessed with right now, he said, it's not it's not who you reach, it's what you say. Uh-huh. And that's so true to me today, because you can reach anybody, uh-huh. you can pay for any audience, uh-huh. but it's everybody's getting a million messages, so how do you figure out what to say? Uh-huh. I was watching an interview you did this morning, okay? It wasn't this morning, but I was watching this morning. And uh, it was at your conference, and so I have a couple of questions. First of all, the conference called Knowledge, mm-hmm. okay. So Knowledge18, you had 18,000 people there. How do you get 18,000 people to that event?
1: Yeah, I think, first of all, I don't even think of it as an event. Okay. It really is kind of a movement. Love that. And as a movement, it's really about peers meeting with peers. And so the answer actually is to have now move into the background, mm. and have our customers move into the foreground. So the draw is each other. And so we're trying to create, how do we facilitate those interactions between peers, learning from peers? And as a result, 92% of the sessions are produced by customers. Mm-hmm. And so it's not really a traditional kind of one-way communication conference. And you know we have 480, I think, sessions. 470 of them are produced by customers unfiltered by us. And so, you know, we're not regulated in topics, we're not, and so that, I think, is part of it. It's like, people want to talk to people about their experiences, their struggles. We're not filtering for, you know, what's struggle, not not, so it isn't just rainbows and sunshine. And I think that's part of it, and keeping that authenticity of the conversation is really important. And then injecting through the keynotes, you know, really an inspiration of where the industry is headed. So then you've got this real combination of, you know, more heady direction and more heartfelt what's actually happening today.
0: Yeah, I think when I saw the interview, you said that, you know, it's the furthest thing from a marketing conference. Right. It's not about ServiceNow. It's not about your new product. It's not about what you're selling. Yep. It's about being this platform for people who are doing, who are all doing the same thing, who are all going to work every day to like come and congregate and share their stuff. How much of that plays into your, This is a great mission for a movement. Mm-hmm. How much of that plays into your marketing? Is that the kind of think, of it?
1: I you know, I, I learned pretty early on that you are talking to someone as a human, and you know, one of my mentors said, you're talking to someone, you're in a bar, they're a friend, they're technically competent. <laughs> so your, friend is, your <laughs> friends are technically competent. Right. Now let's go, now right. let's do the positioning, the messaging, now let's do the connection. So I think the more that you forget marketing, and the more you kind of lean forward on that human conversation, the better. So I think it infuses everything. If you go to our homepage, you go to our web pages. if you're technically competent, you can read them. Mm. And you won't find us falling into, it's a fully comprehensive end-to-end solution that, like, who who says that? I've never said that to my friend. So why would I say it to, exactly.
0: We say that all the time, and uh, one exercise that I do now is, this has been beaten into my head, and so I try to pass it on to you know other people on the team, is like, I'll just say, Hey, let like somebody say hey Dave can you can you read my proofread my email or whatever or read my thing read my press release I say okay read that headline out loud to me and they read it like drift now fully integrates with and I'm like see I'm like that's not how you would talk mm-hmm. now explain it to me in real terms and then from there try to whittle that down mm-hmm. how do you scale that across a marketing team though because I, I feel like it is easy to just like regress back to I'm assuming like, you know, you go and get information from the product team and they tell you here's what we're going to launch and they use all the technical terms. How do you close the gap and like as your marketing team grows and you have however many people, how do you scale that?
1: You know, one of the, let's call it like uh, groups is product marketing. Yeah. And I think they are a, certainly an enterprise is kind of like the dark arts of marketing where if you don't have good product marketing, it's very clear. You know, I can look at a website, I can look at any enterprise company, and, and I know.
0: You've got good product marketing, you don't have good product marketing. And so I think it is the, it's the kind of secret sauce. Which is like the hardest thing about product marketing to articulate, right? It's like you know it if you see it, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I can't, like, it's hard to write down like what exactly it is, but yep. you know when you see it. So our product marketers are kind of integrated into the almost like the factory of
1: the process. They're deeply embedded in the product, so they understand the product roadmap, understand what the customers want. So then when we try to articulate things in our campaigns and our outreach, it goes to product marketers who've got that technical to customer bridging going Mm. on. And I have an organization that does nothing but that, lives and breathes and thinks about the tone, what we should say, how we should say it, what's important, what's our differentiation. And so nothing that we put out into the world should ever be anything other than that human connection with people. Mm. After all, we make the world of work work better for people. And they're the police. You know, they make sure that, that whole thing happens. Do they actually you write know, the copy?
0: Is the product marketing team yeah. write copy? Mm-hmm. So, so if, I, right? if I go to your homepage, page, somebody on the product marketing team wrote that headline.
1: They will write the messaging. And then we do have copy editors who you sometimes you know, add a little bit of flair to it, et cetera. Yeah. But the core value prop just can't escape from it. It's, it permeates everything that we do.
0: So I'm excited to talk about this stuff. Because if, if I just looked at your background on paper, I'd be like, this guy is a hardcore demand gen guy. Mm-hmm. Why do you care so much about this stuff? Copywriting, brand. If I just look, Microsoft demand gen, you did demand mm-hmm. gen Salesforce, mm-hmm. right? Amazon. Mm-hmm. I think usually when when I talk to demand gen people, it's funnel, metric, ROI, mm-hmm. this, that, spreadsheet, whatever, I'm, I'm being dramatic. But like mm-hmm. when I talk to you or the stuff I've watched of you, it's very much about this human connection.
1: Mm-hmm. I think, well, I started... I had a great experience with Microsoft. I was at Microsoft for six years, and I was in the belly of the beast at Microsoft. I was actually doing product management for Windows, so the flagship product, wow. shipping software. Yeah. And so part of uh, the job of a product manager is about feature prioritization. And it turns out that a lot of feature prioritization is about the narrative of what it is this product is supposed to be doing. The way you prioritize features is you think about the scenarios and the stories of how this product's ultimately going to be used. So having that experience earlier in the product development chain I think gave me a grounding in products and what products do mm. and why we were building them in the first place. What was the intention of that? And that I think was a just kind of an amazing lesson for me. And then, you know, I took that I actually started when I was at AWS, I think, you know, ran many different teams. You know, one of them that was near and dear to my heart was, was product marketing. And at AWS, you know, we had amazing complexity, technical complexity. So the, the art really was in how to make all that stuff simple. Because yeah. the engineering pipeline was, you know, kind of uh, very you, fast.
0: How do you get like, how do you get a product marketer at Amazon? Because this is the part of marketing I've always struggled with mentally, which is like, you're supposed to have this product marketing person who is a marketer, their job is to tell a developer about this you know, web service that you're supposed to use. You know, I think the BDR role can be kind of crazy sometimes, which is like most BDRs are 22, 23, 24 years old. They're trying to prospect into you. That BDR is never going to know more about marketing than you do right now. That's not a knock on them. It's just a fact, right? How do you close that gap and actually teach the product marketing person, like, hey, you're supposed to be an expert in marketing, but you need to know how to translate this, but you're also not a developer?
1: Mm -hmm. I think maybe even I'd just challenge how you define a product marketer. I think product marketer, you're you're supposed to be an expert in human connection, and that means understanding and learning. Mm. So I think product marketer's job number one is how does the decision maker, the buyer, the influencer talk, (laughs) what do they care about? Who are they? And spending time with them. And, you know, really, no product marketing can be inside out. It all has to be outside in. And you'll find the words in the customers' mouths. And, you know, that's something I've increasingly learned over time. And so, you know, we have an amazing you know, run the ADR organization at ServiceNow. And I'm so proud of that team. It's an amazing team. But they, you know, they singularly have a gift in being able to express you know, in a minute what others take 10 minutes to express. Yeah. They, they just have to by their nature. And they learn what, it's almost like the water going down the river, it kind of figures out the way between the rocks. Yeah. The ADRs learn that very quickly. This is the way between the rocks. Of course. And if I only could say 20 words, what are the most effective 20 words that I could say? And it turns out that it's all about understanding what's gonna go into somebody's ear and be received well. And they can just figure out those patterns, so they're amazing at pattern recognition. We have amazing ADRs that have this, you know, almost like um, athleticism to the process, where it's like, we're going to try, we're going to try, we're going to try, and then we figure it out. We can just go,
0: go, go. Because they probably learn the most when they send, you know, they make twenty calls or send twenty emails and get no response. Right. Right. You can't just keep doing the same yep.
1: thing. Yeah. By twenty-one, you got it, and yeah. then twenty-two is great. Twenty-three is great. Twenty-four, yeah. and so that's I think uh, it's almost like a boot camp in listening and understanding what the customer really wants. Yeah.
0: How do you take this and translate it to IT? Because I think, I think marketing, this is just an opinion that I have, I think marketing is harder than ever today because there's just so much noise and, and information in the world that like even if you say, as a marketer, my thing is, because every company says this, my thing is better, faster, easier to use, look at all my case studies, Like all that stuff is now kind of table stakes social proof and, and headlines and noise, it's all noise. How do you, like nobody wants to be marketed to mm-hmm. and nobody wants to be sold to. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel that in, in my role where we market to marketers, mm-hmm. I feel like especially in, in with your audience at ServiceNow, how do you cut through the clutter and how do you build a marketing strategy around that stuff? Without, obviously there's stuff you can't say and mm-hmm. without giving away your secrets. No, I'd
1: but. say, you know, at the, let's start at the very highest okay. level. There was an amazing piece in uh, the Wall Street Journal, I think it was in 2008, called Software is Eating the World. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a, a you know, marquee article. And its thesis was that every industry is becoming a software company. And it kind of challenges the status quo, because it says, what about mining? Well, yeah, it turns out the way they figure out where to mine is actually an algorithm. Uh, okay, then what about agriculture? Yep, it turns out that they're looking at the weather patterns and the seed types and you know, all that is, is a computational model. Okay, then what about, you know, they go through everything you think software wouldn't be applied to, has been now applied to. And so software is leading the world and therefore the role of IT is more important than ever because every company is undergoing this digital transformation. And so IT is at the nexus of a transition that's gonna be happening for the next 5, 10, 15 years where it's becoming the most strategic group within a company. And if you're within IT, you're being asked to make that transition. You're being asked to continue what you were doing because you, know, you still have maybe a lot of infrastructure you need to manage and transition the whole company to be more agile, faster, responsive, and have more levels of automation than ever before. So how do we communicate with IT? It's by understanding their world and connecting into the realities of their day-to-day jobs. And once again, you know, we're grounded by our purpose, which is really about making the world of work work better for people. So then I need to live and breathe and think about that person's job and those two worlds and you know where they're at in that transition. And so while someone else, you know, maybe another vendor may abstractly be talking about speeds and feeds of a solution, I'm really very interested in that person's life mm. and their you, work life. You, that's the emotion right. of it. And uh, but also like their day-to-day work lives and you know the practicalness of, this is going to make this thing better that you've struggled with. And yeah, that is something I've struggled with. Let's talk about that. So I think the more that you can come into the worlds of the buyer and you know, the things that they're struggling with, the, uh, the better.
0: I have a quote from when you, I think it was when you first joined. You said, while getting things done in our personal lives with online consumer services had never been easier, the workplace has stagnated. like. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest disconnect to me. You know, mm-hmm. So we talk about a lot at Drift is like, our personal lives have basically reset expectations. Mm-hmm. Like, I can call a car on demand right now. Yep. I can order 500 bucks worth of stuff on Amazon right now. Mm-hmm. I can get a helicopter here if you wanted to, right? But then you go to work with a business and it feels like a completely different world.
1: Right, so you know, we, I'll talk to you maybe just about service now for a second. So if you think about, let's take Amazon as an example, you know, it's just the shopping experience, right? So. You might think if you had five seconds, why do I love Amazon? Oh, because I can just swipe my my finger, I put stuff in my cart, and it arrives, Mm -hmm. okay? But if you had maybe 30 seconds to explain, well, why is that such a joy? You might start to say, well, it's actually because they take care of the shipping and the logistics and the billing and the recommendation engine and the, well, okay, hang on. So actually, the reason it's joy is because they've obfuscated 50 tasks that I hitherto had to do myself, right? So if you had a bit longer, you might be able to explain that. And so for ServiceNow, we have that kind of mentality about work in the enterprise that you, A, we want to have beautiful user interfaces for sure. And those are you know, increasingly mobile, they're increasingly chat, they're increasingly you know, things like service portals, because we want that to be a joyful way, a medium for you to communicate. But the magic happens underneath. Magic happens when you're trying to onboard a new employee and just once they fill in the details, swipe, and then suddenly, wow, that's communicated with payroll, That's communicated with the badging system, and that's communicated with getting them set up an active directory, that's communicated with the facilities to get them an office space, that's communicated with, and that's the job, that's what we mean about making work work better for people. And that really is what we call digital workflow. So digital workflow. That
0: that is like that's its own episode right there because that is that that's the emotion right. Because then if you go back to that IT person, and you think of that person doing their job, they don't care about all the layers. They want to be successful, right? You're making that IT person feel like a superhero, right? Because they're using your product and they just automated fifty things, right? Uh Like in our world, we talk about like we want Drift to be in between these two things. What do salespeople want to do? They want to sell. A good day for a sales rep is to sell all day, Mm -hmm. calls all day. And as a marketer, what I love to do is I love to get the right people to the website, attention. Mm -hmm. If we can figure out everything else in between, then life is going to be better. I'm going to Mm -hmm. be happier. Mm -hmm. That's a good analogy of on the surface, you say, well, I can just get stuff. Mm -hmm. No, let's unpack all the layers.
1: The pixels on the screen is one thing. Understanding how humans want to work is another.
0: Yeah. I want to talk about a little bit about just how you run marketing. Mm -hmm. So without giving away secret sauce, but... What are some of the like, rituals that you have as a marketing leader, like team meetings, your staff meeting, I just wanna know some of that, some of that stuff.
1: Uh, you know, I'd start with goals. Okay. You know, we are very goal oriented and that you know, think marketing can be very squishy, and in many companies, they you know, let it be squishy, and I've never really had that idea. I've always felt that it could be knowable, measurable, and improvable. And therefore, what are the sets of metrics that we ought to hold ourselves accountable for?
0: So even for somebody like the copy editor example that you mentioned, does that person have a measurable goal?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, so everyone in my organization has a goal. We all nest up to the the macro goals. And we talk every year about what the goals are or ought to be, given the context of what we're operating in. So we collectively decide on the system that we're going to hold ourselves accountable for, and then we hold ourselves accountable for it. And then everybody knows whether they've done a good job. And I just think it's a very, a very human thing to to want to know that you beat your goals. Right. And uh, so I think that is a, maybe just a leadership philosophy and that I think can be applied to marketing. And it turns out gives marketing swagger in the step because now they can really kind of have something they can communicate externally. And I don't really ascribe to this idea that it's some kind of, Amorphous, squishy, I don't believe that to be the case and you know, if you can't measure it You can't improve it and that idea It's such a fast evolving space. We need to improve every year So we need to know what the baseline is that we're trying to improve against So I think it's just very
0: knowable. and can the measures be different based on the role so for the copy editor It could be that person's goal might not be 2% lift in conversion, but it might be you know Touch a hundred pieces of copy on the site
1: exactly right and so but they all have to roll up to the macro set of things that we're trying to do as if, an organization. If what that person's
0: working on makes no sense to hear, then...
1: Then, it, yeah, you could argue that uh, they're not focused on the right things. Yeah. But, yeah, I think, you know, I've, I've had that... I've literally done the exact test that you just talked about, which is like, oh, no, my things are kind of a goal for my thing. Okay, let's just talk about that. You know, some of them can be output-related. Sure. Some of them can be making sure the inputs are there on time, mm-hmm. timeliness-related.
0: Like, w- one thing we've talked about a lot with, like, Gonzalo and video team is, like, what is, how do you have a goal for the video team? It's like, we've tried a million different ways, right? Give a creative person a conversion goal, it's never going to work. Yep. But you could say, every month, we want to create five types of these videos, yep. 20 types of these videos. Yep.
1: And then you just need to maybe inject some sense of quality. And the answer, by the way, is in the video team's hands and heads. So that, you know, my version of that would be how would you know if you've created a great video? Oh, I, I, because I'd have at least 3,000 people watch it. Okay, great. that's good, well, let's go with that. I'm gonna create five videos, each of which I've had 3,000 people watch it. But wait, that depends upon someone promoting it. Great, let's talk about this other person's social team promoting these videos
0: now. What's your car? Yeah. How are you gonna work with them? Right. How are you gonna right. have a system and a checklist to so work I
1: think you know, people can create, people wanna create their own goals, and it's actually inside yeah. inside all of us, and uh, yeah, I think that's just a uh, management philosophy.
0: Do you have a, just from a meeting perspective, do you have a ritual, like? Weekly meeting with your direct reports and mm-hmm. then
1: yeah, so yeah, I have my I have one-on-ones with my team every week my direct reports I have a team meeting with all of them together for two hours a week, and then we go off-site every quarter for two days and We've got pretty known rhythms and I think most companies you know the you and I are talking about have big annual user conferences, yeah. and they tend to have sales kickoffs as well. So I've got a couple of bookends of rhythms that I know that we're preparing for. And like you, you know, we take our big show on the road as well. So now I've kind of got a pretty defined mm calendar that's yeah. very no like without doing anything with you can almost
0: lay out the whole year. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And therefore what we need to have ready by each. You know, these annual user conferences tend to be great forcing function for lots of things. So what's the work back on that? So kickoff is a great forcing function for a lot of, you know. So then you you got a pretty set plan,
0: I think, at that point. How have you evolved as a marketer, you know, obviously however long ago you were you were once an individual contributor and then a director and then a VP and then CMO. And how have you continued to evolve? Because I think you go and talk to any great CMO or any exec or leader or company, they're constantly reinventing themselves. What's that progression been for you?
1: Uh, maybe I'll talk about as a marketer and sure. then maybe as a business leader, yeah. right? So as a marketer, I am a student of great marketing. And there's a lot of it around in all sorts of surprising places. And, you know, I think you and I just talked about before the camera was on. There are some companies that are pushing the edge, and you know, some of you know we know I know who those are, and I'm watching what they're doing, and which means visiting websites, signing up for their newsletters, you know, being called upon by their ADRs, and that never really stops for me, and so I mean, that's part of it as a marketer.
0: Yep. That's every every great marketer that I've been able to whether interview directly or just listen to or watch, they all have that same gene, which is curiosity.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Like, everything can be marketing. The headline of a newspaper while you're waiting in line at the grocery store, even if it's some piece of trash like National Enquirer, can be marketing. Uh-huh. Like, it's just a mindset of everything is, you can be curious about everything.
1: Uh-huh. And you know, when you visit a sports event, yeah. you kind of yeah. go, oh, yeah. right. well, that's interesting. But right.
0: how, how, so, so as a marketer, specifically yeah. that piece, how does that change? Because however long ago it was in your career as a marketer, you used to be the guy who could then go and do that. Oh, I got this idea, I'm gonna go do that. Now you have an idea, you get an idea on a Friday morning, you're like, oh, we should do that, then what? You don't, you don't actually do it. Mm-hmm. You have to give it to somebody, mm-hmm. and then they have to do it. Mm-hmm. Isn't that hard?
1: Yeah, more often, I think the co-creation of the idea is where it's you know, really a lot more fun. And that's really, I think, the evolution as a kind of a business leader. I think the, you know, that's probably, the piece I'm, even more excited about, you know, kind of growing. is just, you know, leading, finding the right altitude and depth. And uh, again, it's about people and how people want to work and uh, understanding people's careers and their own development. And I think that is probably the piece I've enjoyed the most. And, you know, when I see other people thriving. So I get more kick out of seeing other people thriving than seeing, my idea come to fruition is not as interesting anymore. Mm. And so, you know, I'm really much more interested in dialing into, you know, my direct team, my full team, and what it takes to have them get to the next level. And that's, I think, just you define your success and your enjoyment a little differently as you, as you kind of grow.
0: We got to wrap up, but I have some more personal questions, which you can decide to answer or not, which is fine. What is your thing? Outside of service now? what is your thing? One habit, are you a big gardener? Do you work out? Do you meditate? You you know, what is your thing?
1: Well, you know, my wife uh, works as well. So between us both working, we put a lot of our free time into our son and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, making sure that uh, he's a happy chappy and uh, he's a big sports dude. So he's, uh, if he's not playing, I'm running around playing soccer with him, you know, taking him to soccer matches. So that's kind of a big part of our focus. And then, you know, then I, do keep in shape, so I try to keep myself pretty active. Still play soccer, and uh, so I'm on a men's soccer team. And nice. uh, and then you know, just trying to get in uh, as, like everyone else as many workouts as I can. The time that I have, <laughs> which is time no time, have, it, which it, is no kid, time. Yeah, not mornings, kids, not mornings is my big answer on that one. It turns out no one can take away your morning. What time do you get up? About six usually. You know, get, the, get to the gym pretty quick, and then uh, you know, I, I'm an up and out person, so I like. As I'm up, I'm out, I'm yeah. out. And then I uh, hit in the gym.
0: Yep. How do you work? I'm just curious for a week. Are you like a, Are you one of these, like, are you a time blocker? Do you just kind of take things as they go? What Do you have a kind of rhythm for how you work?
1: I'd say, you know, given that set of cadences that we have around those are the big, big events, I plan back for those, knowing that those have an intensity to them. So those are different ways of working, I think, than... Uh, than, you know, the, the every day. The month leading up to
0: an event, you know you're going to have to put more time in. Than, exactly.
1: Yeah. But I, I like, you know, I like regularity of, the, of some of the rhythms of things that we just know we've got to get through every week. So we've got, you know, specific, you know, steering committees on topics that we've got, you know, that march each week. And uh, we launch our products every six months. And so we do a launch every six months as well. And so what are the workbacks associated with that? So it ends up being almost like a, a machine of calendaring, working up to all the things you know are going to be happening. Mm. And that's probably 30 or 40% of my calendar. And then the rest is with you know people just
0: working through things. Yeah. Yep. It's nice to, to map it out. Okay, la- last question, give me some books. If you, if you were to, to say, I gotta walk out, hey, you don't know anything about me, you are a marketer, I love you as a marketer, <laughs> read this book. Do you have one or two books that you would give to, to a marketer? Recommend?
1: Well, you know, I'm an avid reader, and I have to admit, I read a lot of science fiction and fantasy, uh, first and foremost. Which <laughs> a lot of good marketing
0: people do.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, the reason that it gives me pause, I think most of the interesting things that I've read are actually more about just human behavior. And, uh, you know, so I love Homo sapiens, and I love, I think it's The Fifth Chimpanzee by, you know, Jared Diamond, which I think is amazing. Um, Exposé into why humans do what they do, uh, predictably rational, you know, uh, which is uh, fantastic, and uh, nudge, uh, another kind of great, just great examples of kind of why people do what they do and when, how they do what they do. When do you,
0: do you have to make time for reading or are you just, you're. you're
1: I, my guilty pleasure is reading. I probably read for about an hour and a half every day. Every day? Yeah. At night? At night.
0: In yep. bed? Yep, in bed. That's awesome. Yep. Well, okay, Dan Rogers, thank you so much for doing this. There's a million things we could talk about, but I think this is a good place to end it, so
1: thank you. Thank you. All
0: right. Enjoyed
1: perfect. it. Thanks, man.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of The Swipe File. If you like the podcast, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, text your friends, tell your mother, do whatever you want to do. It'd be awesome if you helped spread the word about the show. But I have a little special for you because you're listening to my podcast. If you go to drift.ly... Drift.ly slash Steve. You will see a six minute video that I made that is about Steve Jobs storytelling secrets, and you can get it all for free. Plus, if you sign up there, you will unlock this crazy new thing that we're building behind the scenes called Drift Insider, where we're gonna give you some of our best content exclusively. So go and check it out. The way, the secret way to get on this list right now is to go to drift.ly slash Steve. You have to watch the first video and you'll be able to get the rest when they all come out. Check it out. If not, check it out soon and I'll see you in the next episode.